totally the World Cup. On my count, three, two, one. Unbelievable, unbelievable this. Up day 15 ahead of the knockout stages, a round of induced coma. England, Belgium in the biggest battle for seconds since Oliver Twist. Elsewhere, fair play to Japan who got beat but still qualified thanks to fewer bookings than my barber. But it's goodbye to Senegal who are now on the airplane because they didn't do enough fair playing. Friday's arrest day, so we'll be casting our minds forward to the last 16 as World Cup 2018 gets very real. Hello everybody, on board today, Duncan Alexander, Hello, Ian McIntosh Hello. and Matt Scott. Hello. Here's a shock stat for you, there's only 25% of this World Cup left, eh Duncan? It's true, I mean you could argue the best 25% or you might say not. The last World Cup everyone loved the group stages and then it sort of tailed off other than the uh, you know, Germany 7, Brazil 1. Game. Luckily there's no sign of anything tailing off in this. World Cup. Since no. you love stats, here's a couple more for you. This is the first time since 1982 that there's going to be no African representation in the knockout stages of the World Cup. It's also the first time in history today, Thursday, uh, that a team has been eliminated from a major tournament on fair play rules. And that, of course, was Senegal. Poor old Senegal. Mm. What is fair play? It's an existential debate because Japan were not going for anything in the last 15 minutes of their game. So is that fair So play? what is fair? That's my question to you. Well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's talk about England-Belgium. And I bet there'll be more shock stats on the way as we review the Roten Devils' 1-0 victory over Gareth Southgate's B team, kind of. Defeat for both sides, is that <laughs> right? Because Martinez had explicitly said, we want to perform well, but the priority is not to win. Well, defeat for everyone watching tonight, certainly. That was an absolute stinker of a game. It's one of those where you just have to hope everybody knows what they're doing. I'm not comfortable at all. Despite Michael Cox's very articulate explanation last night, I'm not comfortable at all with the idea of being a nation that got pumped inside seven days of the last World Cup, suddenly determining how to progress through the latter stages to the semi-finals. I do think that smacks of arrogance, but I don't think that's what's happened here. Right. I think he's genuinely gone for a chance to freshen legs and put smiles on faces. So but it wasn't about calculating trying to come second, they just I, actually I weren't good not. enough to beat Belgium. I, I hope not, but then there's only so much you can read when you've got two teams on the pitch, both of whom are playing together for the first time. Hmm. It was a really incoherent, dislocated nothing of a game. Matt, if you showed that game to someone who hadn't seen the last week of England frenzy who, say, for example, had just come fresh from the last World Cup, would they notice the difference? Would they suspect there was any kind of machination involved? No. What they, what they would not realise was that this was an absolutely consummate exposition of England's football mastery. The fact that they could, while looking like they were playing actual football, uh, could contrive to, to lose a football match in a manner that still looks quite convincing. It was very interesting that at the end of... The, uh, the the match Gabriel Clark on ITV asked, or he actually stated to Gareth Southgate, uh, if you'd have wanted to win that match, you'd have brought on Harry Kane. 
To which he went, well, yes, of course. <laughs> but so, you know, everyone's just looked behind that green curtain and there's a right. little man <laughs> playing an organ and his name is Gareth Southgate. I thought it was beautiful. All right. Well, Daniel Story on Twitter rings a warning note when he says uh, the last 16 semi-finalists, well, that's a lot of semi-finalists, last 16 semi-finalists at the World Cup have all won their final group game, which suggests momentum matters. Raphael Honigstein, meanwhile, recalling the badminton scandal at London 2012. Do you remember when both players wanted to lose to get an easier draw? So they kept serving straight into the net. As Raphael remembers, every once in a while, one of them could not help themselves and serve (laughs) properly, only to hit the net with the next shot. And they ended up... It was a big scandal, and they ended up getting, I think, either suspended or some kind of penalty was imposed. Extraordinary. What is the impact? We've spent so long debating on... What happens if you take your foot off the gas and what it'll mean for your next game? What is the impact for England as they head towards Colombia, as we now know? Um, I don't think it's going to have that much difference. The, the team that, that England want to play in this tournament um, didn't really play tonight, so that's OK. Harry Kane will be rested. I don't, you know, a tournament football, seven games maximum, it, it, there's so much luck involved um, that you could have, you know, they could have won tonight, you know, played Japan, but then it, it, I just think it's not that important, really. What did you think of Belgium's uh, performance here? It was much the same. Uh, there, there wasn't really much going on, with the exception of a really, really well taken goal. So good that I think even Kevin De Bruyne would have uh, applauded that uh, by Adnan Janasai. But um, but there, there was no difference. There were two. There were two reserve teams. I mean, yeah, this game had seventeen changes, which is a record for any World Cup game. In the is history. that right? Yeah, you're yeah. not going to get a good game with that many changes. They so say rock and roll. This is genocide. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Somehow England managed to name their second youngest ever team in a tournament and still named Gary Cahill in it. So <laughs> that's good. You could see actually that, <laughs> that from the reaction of when we're talking about manager watch, uh, the reaction of Roberto Martinez when he, he he shook his hand in that very continental manner when the goal went in, but then instantly scowled. <laughs> <laughs> with a very dark look of a man not entirely happy to see a goal. Can I admit, I'm confused, I'm, I'm perplexed at this notion that winning the group was bad because winning the group means you take on Japan as opposed to Colombia. Yeah. Japan, Matt. Well, yeah, OK, so Japan are probably, when you talk about the youngest squad in this tournament, <laughs> Japan's is probably quite the other end of the spectrum and close to being the oldest. Is that right, uh, Duncan? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, but it's it's not just about this next match. I mean, perhaps it is, as you said before, going ahead of England. But in terms of what they would face, assuming that they get past a, a James Rodriguez-less uh, Colombia... We'll, we'll hear more about his prospects of making that last 16 tie uh, shortly when we'll be getting a view from a, a Colombian football expert who was at that game and has just watched the England one. As well, but do go on, Matt. It's about what comes next, yeah. And, and well, obviously, I appreciate that. In the, yeah, but what and, comes next is either Japan or Colombia, and I know which team I'd rather face, yeah. But it doesn't look like I mean, okay, the sense of contrivance between uh-huh. both managers was shown. I'm not the stats man, but after about 70 minutes, it was flashed up on the screen that both teams had had 11 shots on goal and there was a total of two shots on target between them. You know, that rather shows you, I think, that the players, even if it was completely unconscious, the players were thinking beyond the second round. We can debate it all we like, but we could see from the quality of the football actually how things were being thought through on the pitch. I mean, guys, we are being a little bit negative here. Let's not forget Mitchie. Mitchie Batshuayi smashing one off the post into his own face. 
I'm, I don't know about you, but that's going to be one of the magical moments that I remember years from now. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Group H, Thursday afternoon then, two games. Colombia beating Senegal 1-0 and Japan losing 1-0 to Poland. But thanks to the Colombian goal, still going through ahead of Senegal on fair play, which led to a really bizarre final quarter of an hour when they basically passed the ball amongst themselves and didn't dare go near their Polish opposition for fear of picking up an inadvertent booking. Um, Everyone... I think watching found this either ghastly or quite amusing, except for the BBC's commentators who were utterly unaware of the situation and convinced that Japan were going out and needed to sweep up field and get a goal as they repeatedly urged the Japanese. Well, Japan really do need a goal because we're getting news that Colombia have got one in Samara to lead Senegal by goal to nil. It would take Colombia to six points. Quite simple now. Japan need to score or having started the day, leading the group, the adventure is over. Even when the cameras then cut to a Japanese fan with a broad grin celebrating, pointing at the updated table on his smartphone with Japan in second place. It's been handy for us, that lad, with that phone, isn't it? I'm not quite sure it's updated correctly, though. Like Japan in second on his phone. That's bias. Foreign phones. Anyway... <laughs> I hate a phone that won't update with permutations. Very disappointing. But, um, yeah, I mean, as you say, the the whole end of that game was bizarre. And it's interesting because if you think back to 1982, the Austria-West Germany game, the disgrace of Hihon, as it was known, um, was the reason that FIFA brought in the thing that final group games were played at the same time. But I think with technology, we've kind of gone past that now because the idea that you don't know what's happening in the other game is pretty much over. Everyone knows what's happening in the other game. So um, maybe this match might lead to another tweak of the rules. Mr Brain Sample says, am I right in thinking that Poland are just as much to blame for this? It, it was curious, wasn't it? Poland had no calculations to make. You'd have thought they'd have been going out in a blaze of glory, like, I don't know, South Korea were against the Germans. Playing for pride after yeah. some of the headlines back there. But... Poor old Senegal, because all I could think about was that first game where um, Senegal absolutely battered Poland and then just from nowhere Poland popped up and scored. And when it went in, you thought, is that going to come back and bite them? Mm. Well, even, it, it in the, um, did. even in the Senegal-Japan game, there were three bookings in the last four minutes, two for Senegal, one for Japan. And is that's, that where they lost their World Cup? Well, at the time, no one had even really taken much notice, but I like the way that these things can kind of gain resonance. As wow, that's goes Chekhov's on. yellow card, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice that you spotted that even then, Duncan. I definitely spotted it at the time and didn't go back and check today. Yeah. Senegal were really going at it, trying to find the equaliser that would have put them through in Japan's place after Yuri Mina had scored his second goal of the tournament. Um they must feel absolutely gutted because they look like a really decent team, Senegal. Well, they got a penalty as well in the first half and then VAR overruled it. Things didn't go their way. They're a kind of stereotype busting team as well. You know, For starters, they're an African team with an African manager with a reputation on the rise. Um, but for anyone still clinging on to those old you know, African teams can't defend tropes, they were very, very difficult to beat in, in qualifying. They looked very organised. They flitted from one formation to another with ease so I thought it was a real shame that they they didn't make it Mm. and it's not like Colombia went all out to win I mean they had to win and they did win but they had one shot on target in the first half and one in the second well they were pretty happy about the result in Colombia let's now speak to Colombian football expert Alejandro Farfan who was actually at the game in Samara 
and has just finished watching England-Belgium but is still in pretty good spirits. Alejandro, first of all, Colombia will play England in the last 16. What do you think? Well, to be honest with you, I know you are British, I know you are from England, but to be honest with you, that's the, that's the team that I want to play against, you know. Uh, I really think England have a, a, a good group of young players, but I think, uh, I think England, respecting a lot, a lot of the, the England national team, I think England, uh, it, it's, a, it's a little bit more accessible team than, than Belgium. I, I, I was not afraid... Of, of, of Belgium either, you know? But I really think uh, we have a, a great, great chance to, to beat England. Where do you see the weakness in England that, say, Belgium don't have? In the spirit, you know? It's the same, it's the same every World Cup. You, you think England have a great, a great group, a great team, but when it comes to the, the fine moment, they get short, you know? It's something about, I don't know, the personality... The spirit of the team, England, always, always comes short. I don't know if, so, if it's something psychological, something in the mind of the players, but that, that's always England. You know, I think it's a still a young team. Uh, I, I really think that the U17 and U20 teams that uh, became world champions, they will be great for England, maybe in a couple of World Cups. But I really think this team... It's not, a, it's not a World Cup champion caliber team. All right. Well, I guess we're going to see a little bit better when, when they take on Colombia. Let's talk about a couple of standout players. Davidson Sanchez, who, how good is this guy going to be? What is he, 22 years old? Yeah, look, in my humble opinion, Colombia have the best central defender couple in the world. U23, not overall, but in, in, between the junk players, the, develop, the development players... We have Jerry Mina, 23. We have Davinson Sanchez, 22. I think under 23, that's the best couple of centre-backs in the world. And I think we're going to have at least three, four World Cups with them. So I think that's a huge advantage for Colombia because having such a couple at that age, that's priceless. A little bit further upfield, Alejandro, what's the word on Hammers' injury? They have to took him out because he have a muscular fatigue so they can't took the risk to get a big injury and lost him for the rest of the World Cup. So in the moment he, he feels that, that the muscle is tight again, they, they didn't think twice and they took him out because, of course, James is the most important player along, alongside with Falcao. He's the most important player of the team. But Colombia have enough players to beat Senegal, but we can't afford the luxury to lost James for the rest of the World Cup. So that's why they took him out so they can start to work again in that muscle and have him ready to play against England. And lastly then, Falcao, what do you make of his tournament so far? He's a smart player. He, he's a warrior. The way Falcao works against the defenders of the other team, the way he goes up in the aerial balls, the way he moves the diagonals that he took, the, the, the defenders that he moves to one side or another side, the definitive goal that he scores against Poland. He's a mature player and he's playing his role. Brilliant. Alejandro, just to finish then, a quick prediction of the score when England play Colombia? I think this is a 50-50 game, you know. Colombia is a little bit more mature, you know. I think England is still a little bit younger and, and the pressure definitely is going to be on in, in the England side because, of course, he's a world champion in England. They don't do nothing since 1966. So I think that if Colombia is smart enough, 
to get into the mind of the of the English players that are young and have to have to win. I think that can be a little bit of an edge for Colombia, but again, it's a 50-50 game. Alejandro Farfan there in Samara. Wow, Matt, I know you want to respond. Well, perpetual bottlers that we are, mm. um, every single tournament that we go to, we beat Colombia 2-0 in 1998, the last time we faced them in a, right. in a, in a World Cup. So you know. That's one view. Here's another one. Duncan Alexander tweeting earlier, you at 5pm, England need to be brave and finish second. You at 9pm, we'll blow it against Colombia. The momentum has gone. The sweet, sweet momentum. It's over. <laughs> yeah, I was, Is that right, Duncan? Well, I did see a few people who were very kind of Machiavellian in the afternoon and you know it's time for England to grow up and do what Spain or Germany would do and you know play the long game and then you know their confidence evaporated during that game that game you can't read anything into it it's yeah. not going to live on in the memory of anyone really Listeners, there are 32 teams and 736 players at the World Cup but there are a million stories beyond the pitch in Russia the excellent Game of Our Lives podcast is back for its second season and host David Goldblatt will bring you fiery discussion of the cultural, political and sociological issues that make football the world's greatest sport. Along with his co-host, David will be discussing things like Iceland's incredible rise and Panama's amazing journey to their first tournament, as well as taking deep dives into historical matches that still have resonance for today's game. Search for Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. Uh, one thing we should mention from this afternoon's games was the save of the tournament so far. Mm. Edgy Kawashima mm. on uh, Kamal Krasicki's uh, header. Yeah, no? it was lovely. He yeah. got across the goal really well and uh, clawed it out from virtually behind the line. But I think we've seen a few outstanding saves. Uh, the Tunisia goalkeeper, mm. before he went off, the, the, the starting keeper in the first game against England, he clawed one out. It was absolutely amazing. I thought Cho... Uh, for Korea, who plays for the worst team in the K-League, was absolutely brilliant. And I think it's a real shame because he, he could have been a contender for the Golden, Golden Glove for me. Well, that's interesting, Matt. Same I tell you what, go on. Which, what's been your, your best bit and your worst bit of this World Cup so far? I've, I've loved these group stages and it all Just came to life. Just the whole group life. stage. That's yeah, I really have. But it all came to life with Spain-Portugal. That was what announced this World Cup for me and it remains the, the, the best game that I've seen possibly at any World Cup ever. Ooh, Ian. Uh, Mexico, Germany. Mm. Um, not for uh, uh, any kind of Schadenfreude towards the Germans, um, but just because that that whole game in the first five minutes you're going bloody hell, Mexico really going for this. Into oh my god, they've scored, and to and, and just that they never sort of seem to yield. You you always felt every minute of that game you're on the brink of something really special. That was that was good fun. And what about a less special bit? <laughs> Would it be Thursday want... night England Belgium? Yeah, Thursday night England Belgium and uh, and VAR related stuff. VAR has recovered a number of situations which would have otherwise been awkward, mm-hmm. which I do accept. But there still seems to be a feeling that it's almost arbitrary when it kicks in. You know what what actually invokes the use of VAR, uh, as we saw in those two games the other night. Duncan, uh, I've enjoyed Ronaldo and Messi sort of turning up. Mm. Uh, Messi eventually. Um, I think that goal possibly it was very good, and maybe people reacted a little bit too much. If you put them really, because I was going to say um, he had a rotten group stage up to that point. I think most people would say, but it kind of feels like they both had an equal impact now. Him, him with that one moment, yeah, so special that he's 
He's been as good as Ronaldo's been. Yeah, more gifable than Ronaldo's hat trick, maybe. Yeah. But it's good. You know, I think what this World Cup group stage has had is just the right amount of shocks. So you don't want it to be like 2002, where too many teams go out, and then you look, suddenly look at the knockout stage, and you're like, oh, yeah. And you don't want it to be just a procession for the for the big teams. So I think it's been pretty balanced like that. I mean, we've obviously seen the massive impact of VAR. You know, we've already smashed the record for penalties in a World Cup um, with the knockout stages still to go. Um, and we're seeing trends in it that we've seen in club football, like, um, you know, shot, shots per game is the lowest ever at a World Cup, but the conversion rate's really good and people are shooting from closer in possibly because they understand now that long-range goals might look good in compilations on telly, but they're not that reliable. OK. Those are all broadly positive things. Has there been something that you haven't enjoyed? Ronaldo's whiskers? Ooh, yeah. Oh, dear. I'm sad about Morocco. They were so much fun. They went off like a train against Iran. You thought they were going to get three or four. They ship one in injury time, and they never really come back from it. And they look like the kind of team it would have been really fun to have in the knockout rounds. They've sent a dossier. This is how much fun they are. They've sent a dossier to FIFA complaining about the refereeing. <laughs> Duncan. I mean, I guess the fact there's no African teams in the knockout stage for the first time since 82 is disappointing. Um, mm. But I think you can't read too much into it because, you know, Egypt, obviously, you know, Salah injured. Um, Senegal going out on fair play, which remains, you know, tenuous. And then some difficult groups as well. You know, Nigeria yet again getting Argentina, which is very unfair. So um, while it's not a good World Cup overall for the African teams, I don't think it's a sign of any sort of decline. Well, let's talk, Duncan, about the teams that are in the last 16. Blair Newman yesterday pointing out that if Spain don't progress to the final, which is kind of could have happened, if they don't go through to the final, one of the following teams will. Russia, Croatia, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Belgium, England, Japan or Colombia. That's quite an interesting group to take a finalist from. And, of course, the last one of those teams that was in a final was... England. England in 66. And then Sweden in 58. Of course, that's a big if because, you know, Spain probably could well make it. But if they don't, that side of the draw looks really, really interesting. So are Russia that side of the draw? Russia are that side of the draw. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Let's talk about the last 16 because Stefan says, could you do predictions for each knockout tie? Also, will the podcast be uploaded earlier or later in the knockout? No, no, I think the same... Same time, Stefan. Oh, unless there's extra time, says producer Ben. That's smart thinking. Anyway, here here are your knockout matches from the last 16. It all begins Saturday at 3 o'clock, France-Argentina. Pow, what a way to start. Let me tell you, Ian, that Messi, Benega, Mascherano, Mercado, Otamendi and Acuna are all one booking away from missing the next game. I don't think that's going to be a problem. No, they're missing uh, it anyway. I think France will be just fine. <laughs> I still oh, really? don't think Argentina are any good. Do you know how many goals Messi scored in the knockout stages of the World Cup? I do not. None. None oh, goals. He's go. never scored in a knockout match in the World Cup. Yeah. And other variants of exactly he, that same He's fact. still one goal behind John Stones in this World Cup. <laughs> OK. Uh, Uruguay, meanwhile... On the, on Saturday, are taking on Portugal. What's yeah. your thoughts on Portugal. that, Duncan Alexander? Are we heading towards a France Portugal Euro 2016 rematch in the quarterfinals? Revenge in the quarterfinal, possibly. Yeah, um, I think like Ian said, he's not impressed by Argentina, but Portugal again haven't looked great. Uruguay seem to be growing into it a bit. So yeah, I mean, that, I think that one's got extra time written all over it, to be honest. And 
possibly some sort of impact oh. from an you know <laughs> so much so much naughtiness in that game yeah. so much potential for it no, Suarez no. v Pepe will be good no no Portugal win it it's the, it's the immovable object hitting the immovable object Portugal it's, to go through then in a grim and gritty yeah I think you're quite very slow I think okay. they, they've looked okay in, a, in an, an absolutely dreadful well, that, that would set up France-Portugal as I say in the quarterfinals the rest of that side of the draw go on Monday Monday at 3 o'clock, it's Brazil-Mexico, the winner of which will take on whoever comes out of the Belgium-Japan game. Call those two for us, if you will, Ian. I'm really worried about Mexico now, after what happened against Sweden. They've just all fallen apart. I mean, Mm. I hope they've just maybe momentarily taken their eye off the ball, because they also had terrible luck in the last World Cup against um, Brazil when they smashed one off the crossbar. What they do is get to the last 16 and then go out. (laughs) Six World Cups in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like Brazil there and Belgium over Japan? Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, which sets up an interesting quarterfinal, Belgium-Brazil. Whoa, I mean, I'm getting excited that, already. That is the absolute now, derby of less than the sum of their parts, isn't it, on the basis of <laughs> what we've seen harsh. so far. And I what we've seen so far, neither team has, for the quality that they've got there, neither team's really clicked, have they? As I say, I think that usually comes, and we, we forget the group stages, I think all the highlight stuff comes a, a little bit later on, but uh, you might be right. Anyway, the other side, the other half of this uh, last 16, gets underway Sunday afternoon with Spain against Russia. Look out, kids. Matt. Russia. Seriously? Yeah. People wrote them up and said they were the worst team in this tournament. For footballing or non-footballing reasons? I think a bit of both. It's their, they're the hosts of the tournament. If this does have something in common with 2002, it's that Russia will get to the semi-final. Do you care to disagree, Duncan? Or Well, I think don't upset Sasha, but Russia's group stage was possibly a bit over... You know, playing they. I think their XG from their games is three, and they scored eight times. So that is a team that's massively overperforming. Mm. And when they took on Uruguay in the last, game. yeah, not great. I mean, I I'm very surprised. I mean, I know there's caveats all over the place, but I I'd be surprised if Spain don't get through. Okay. Yeah, I've just followed FIFA for far too long. I'm afraid <laughs> I'm a cynic. Strange things happen with host nations that they find themselves boosted somehow by you know the the support being in their own stadium it's mm. a well known fact that host nations perform better than you might expect historically mm-hmm. um but all that being said it would have to be a pretty strange night well uh, whoever makes it out of that game will be taking on the winner of croatia denmark Ooh. well that's croatia is it current, on current showing i think croatia have been spectacular that all midfield right, is has been the best in the tournament modric and rakitic if they can put together this many games at the end of what's been a very long season for, for, for both of them, then that's great. I mean, I hope they do, but it's not guaranteed. Their reward will be to head into a quarterfinal clash with one of the following teams, Sweden, Switzerland, England and Colombia. Sweden, Switzerland face off Tuesday at three o'clock. That's a tough one. I'd say Switzerland. I'm quite impressed with the Swiss. Duncan, am I wrong? I think both teams are know what they have to do to get three games. Should right. We, should we put it like that? Okay. A so pragmatic yeah. clash. Switzerland's res- resilience has been remarkable more than anybody else's. They've they've right. come 
back from behind. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sweden looked pretty solid as well. You know, they, they, they did, were, didn't they? I've got a horrible Mexico. feeling that we're looking at a repeat performance of Switzerland-Ukraine from 2006 yes. there. Could mm-hmm. be the worst World that, Cup game. Yeah, that has got nil and nil written all over it. Switzerland actually didn't score in a penalty shootout in that game, which is quite rare to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went out of that World Cup without having let in a goal. <laughs> so, well done, Switzerland. So, of course, whoever emerges victorious from that game will take on either England or Colombia, which will be the last of the last 16 clashes. And hang on to your predictions for that. It's such a big one that we're going to save our pre-game analysis, of course, till next week. Now, to rest day on Friday in the World Cup. So we won't be doing a pod Friday evening, but we are back on Saturday. For now, anyway, with the last 16 confirmed, let's get some odds on the race for the Golden Boot and one or two other things. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is here, as always. Lee, the group stage has come to an end, and it's been rather good, hasn't it? It's been thoroughly enjoyable. I'm actually surprised. I was a bit cynical. Uh, That's old age for you. But I've enjoyed every second of it, apart from that nil-nil draw. You probably enjoyed, like quite a lot of us, Germany getting knocked out. Now, they, of course, were one of the favourites. What's uh, what's going on with the overall here as we enter the knockout phase? Yeah, a lot of people have said that Germany would presumably be a bad result for the bookie because uh, they were joint favourites. But actually, England have had more bets to win the tournament than Germany had. So... The best result for us would be for England to go out, uh, but personally, I don't want that. Spain and Brazil are our joint favourites now. They're 7-2, to two, uh, and behind them are Belgium and England, which is terrifying to say out loud. And what about the golden boot, Lee? There's some, uh, there have been quite a few goals scored at the moment. Is Harry Kane going to win it? Depends if he gets back on the pitch or not from the start. Um, he's 13-8 to eight to win the golden boot. Ronaldo, second favourite, quite a distance behind them at 11-2, and then Lukaku is 6-1. to one. Beyond that, all the big names are there, but they're very long prices. Suarez, for instance, 40 to 1, Neymar, 25 to 1, uh, and Mbappe, 125 to 1. Just needs one hat trick. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, by the way, uh, while you're having your day off, if you want to get in touch, we're at The Totally Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook for videos, quizzes, competitions and more. We return Saturday night, Sunday morning with all the hot poop on Uruguay, Portugal and France, Argentina. Very tasty indeed. For now, it's many thanks to Matt Scott. Thank you. Ian McIntosh. Thank you. And Duncan Alexander. Thank you. Listener, thank you, and we'll be back with you Saturday night, Sunday morning. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given, or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. 
We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team. Through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.